Hey folks, before we start this episode, I want to give you a little uh, NPR-esque encouragement to go out and please purchase the albums of my guests, Marta Sanchez and Chase Baird. They both uh, are releasing new work this month, and as we discuss in this episode, uh, the challenges of being a recording artist in 2019 are extreme and, uh, you know, it's very difficult to make uh, a living off of streaming. And, uh, you know, these two people have poured their hearts and souls into these albums, and they're really incredible. And it's because of listeners like you that you can give an opportunity to uh, real wonderful music being made. And uh, I just, if you're anything like me, when NPR comes on with that fundraising drive, uh, you're like, oh, not this again. But let me tell you something. If you listen for a couple minutes, you start to feel pretty guilty about the fact that you haven't uh, contributed. And I'm just assuming that if I talk for long enough, that guilt is going to sink into your, the pit of your stomach. And you're going to realize that you are doing a disservice to yourself and to uh, the music community at large if you don't go out and actually purchase digital copies of these records they're really fantastic and i hope that you will all right thanks so much enjoy the show hello i'm chase oh chase wow yes how are you how how was a tour with antonio sanchez did i tour with antonio sanchez (laughs) (laughs) cool all right, welcome to Between the Gigs. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Marty Eisenberg. Um, before we get started, I'm just going to do a little housekeeping here with some gigs I have coming up. You can catch the Like Minds Trio every Monday at the Sky Deck of Lifetime Athletic, featuring, featuring our singer, Sammy Stevens. Uh, every Wednesday, you can see my group at the Tack Room, the new home of Chef Thomas Keller. Each week, we feature different uh, musicians. Uh, in this band, this week we got Lisa Parrott on saxophone. Uh, next week we'll have Ray Gallon on piano. Uh, the following week we'll have one of our guests, Marta Sanchez, will join us on piano. Uh, every Sunday you can catch me at the Harrison, um, which is in Floral Park, Queens. I'll be playing with Tom Guarna on guitar and Joel Maltea on drums. Um, next month I start my third season subbing at uh, Radio City Christmas Spectacular in the orchestra. It's a super fun uh, job, and I'm looking forward to it. So if you got any questions for me about, uh, you know, what's that like, or what kind of underwear I wear while playing Radio City, I'll never tell. Uh, send an email to info at uh, betweenthegigs.com. Um, and you're, if you're also curious about uh, uh, my comedy project with uh, Greg Marino, the Harry Billionaires, we're gonna be, he's going to be coming to New York next weekend, and we're going to jump into the studio and uh, work on recording some tracks for it. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We will become Sherry and Terry Billionaire and, uh, you know, let the saga continue. Okay, so in this week's episode, um, I'd like to sit down with, or I am, I, I liked to, and now I am sitting down with two prominent uh, jazz musicians of uh, my generation. I think I think we can still call it the, the younger generation of uh, jazz musicians. At least they're navigating the uh, world that uh, the music scene currently exists, and uh, both of them are really 
creating very interesting work and um, have uh, been successful as recording artists and as band leaders. And uh, I wanted to chat with them about their experience, you know, navigating this new world of the music scene as it is today. And, uh, you know, see some of their successes, maybe some of their failures uh, to provide some insight for the rest of us. So my first guest is Marta Sanchez. Hi, Marta. Hi. Uh, a little bit about Marta. Marta is from Madrid, Spain. She's the winner of multiple jazz competitions there. Um, she's recorded four albums as a band leader. And her new record, El Rayo de Luz, which I'm going to try to translate that. Is that <laughs> the ray of light? Yeah, kind of. Oh, yeah. yeah. Beam of light or something like that, yeah. Wait, what is it actually? Beam. Oh, beam. I okay, think. all right. That's beam. fine. Um, and uh, her new record is out November 22nd. That, wow, that's a month from today. Mm-hmm, yes. And it features yes. some incredible musicians, including Chris Cheek on saxophone. Um, she's been mentioned and written about uh, in NPR's Fresh Air, uh, Downbeat, The New York Times, and uh, she is having a CD, she's having two CD release parties here in New York, uh, one on November 24th at the Owl, and December 5th at Birdland. Um, so check that out. It's going to be cool. <laughs> um, and my other guest is Chase Baird. Is it Baird? Baird. Yeah, Baird. Exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, Chase Baird, uh, born in Seattle. You know, I'm from Oregon. So nice. We've got that thing going. Pacific There's a lot of chemistry here. I yes, can feel it. I can feel it too. Um, so you were discovered and mentored by Michael Brecker. Um, you currently tour with uh, Antonio Sanchez's band. Um, you have just released your second album as a leader, uh, A Life Between, which fe- features Antonio Sanchez, Brad Meldow, Nir Felder, really stellar cast of musicians. Um, Dan, and- Dan Chmielinski also. Oh, right, yeah. Record. I guess yeah. I should mention everybody since <laughs> yeah. they're also great. Um, it also says in your bio, um, I thought this was fun, it says in your bio that you played with President Bill Clinton in the front row of one of your concerts. No, I, I never I never played with Bill Clinton, but I played for him. Yeah. Which was a, we there it was a few years ago at a um, it was a tribute concert to raise funds for cancer research, a tribute concert for Michael Brecker. Yeah. And I my band was going on first. There were like a whole bunch of acts for that. And I, I had my saxophone and they they brought Bill through the artist entrance. So I was sitting right there and I, I had the horn and I said, Mr. President, you're up first. Here's your horn. And I handed him the horn. <laughs> so we got to talk for a little bit, you That's know. Cool. And, and he was a, I, I liked him. He was a cool guy. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean <laughs> so he's a he's, I, I went, a, he's a classic. He's 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 something. For for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay, so let's get into it. Um I wanted to sit down with both of you guys because um, you're both musicians and artists whom I respect, and the timing seemed to fit because you both have new albums either out or, or about to be out. Um, and I'm kind of been using this when I first started doing this podcast. My idea was just sort of be like a you know commentary about the life of musicians. Oh, God damn it! I forgot to turn off my phone. Everybody, be cool. All right, it's on silent. Um, I, I, I wanted to do the podcast as sort of a commentary on, on what the life of a musician was like, both on and off the bandstand. Um, but what has kind of evolved is I've been bringing in guests to sort of talk about 
um, areas that I'm sort of interested in exploring more. Um, like a couple of weeks ago, I had someone talk about digital marketing and sort of the, you know, where, how jazz musicians are using um, social media and stuff to um, both connect with fans and build their brand. And, um, you know, one of the projects of, of my own that I'd like to invest more energy into is, is an original music project. Um, and so I thought I would ask you guys a little bit about, you know, how leading your own bands has, well, I guess, um, how you've been so successful at it for, for one. I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, the creative work that you've done. Um, but let me start with this question. Um, and it's, how do you view like the product of making a record these days as a jazz musician? Is it something you do fully intending as a profit source or is it more of a calling card to, uh, get more bookings and, and build your sort of name recognition or is it purely sort of a, a creative endeavor that, you feel a need to do regardless of those other factors. I, you, I, I would say that it was, it's largely the latter, honestly, it's yeah. mostly a creative endeavor that I feel like I'm leaving, uh, hopefully some kind of legacy with that. Like if I, if I did nothing else than this last record I did, I would, I could be satisfied. You right. Know? That being said, it was, it was so prohibitively expensive. <laughs> there's no way I'm really going to recoup that anytime soon. Right. Of course. You know, uh, but I had to have that essentially to be able to do what I did last week. Like I took my band out on the West coast and did a little tour and stuff. And I, I almost could not have done that without the record. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just sort of a, a catch 22 in right. some ways, you know? Yeah. But. I mean, it seems like it, it is an essential part of, uh, you know, the ability to go out there and play your own music is to mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. a record and have it be produced at the highest level that you're, you know, able to do. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Is that what you... Yeah, I agree completely, like 100%. I mean, obviously, it's not to make any profit. <laughs> not to make any profit. So you go into profit. it with not, not hoping to, or not expecting to, like, really... No, no, no. Do you I guys mean, I, pro I probably, like, spent way less than Chase did. And also, I got, like, help from my label. So yeah. it wasn't that crazy expensive. But still, you know, it's hard to, to get it back, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, but... Um, obviously you do it for a creative reason because mm -hmm. you need to put the music, you write this music and you need mm -hmm. to put it out there, you know, so you can keep going and keep growing and, and, uh, yeah. But also at the same time, there is like a component that if you don't have a CD, it's hard to, you know, to get out there and play tours and play, you know, and make your people, the, the people listen to your music also because it's, Besides your friends, you know, if you don't have a CD and it's hard to reach other right. people, you know. Well, and even then I've been sort of wondering how many people are actually checking out the <laughs> CD. You know, it, I, I, it seems like people have, but then again, I felt compelled, like I had to break it into one minute chunks and post it on Instagram so mm. people could see mm. that like I made a CD, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a difficult time. I, it, I had a kind of an interesting experience like two weeks ago. I was talking to Eric Alexander. We were at the Monterey, Monterey Jazz Festival together. Mm -hmm. And I told him I'd just put out this record and you know, spent a lot of money on it. And, and he, 
he said when he was signed to what I think it was Milestone Records, he, he said he got a $20,000 signing bonus and a $30,000 budget per album. Oof. And that budget went up over time. Oh, yeah. And that we're talking like, a, that was probably 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how dramatically that shift has been since then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, 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 and kind of sad, but at the same time, I think that we have, uh, we're kind of a, a generation of like artistic heroes mm -hmm. in a way, in the sense that like there is a certain like forging ahead that mm. you have to do in spite of the difficulties of it. You know, yeah, that's yeah. You know. that's a great I way mean, to look at I it. I always think that we cannot change the technology or how the world, you know, what the world is interested on or what the whatever. We cannot like come back, you know, to mm -hmm. the CDs and and to sell a lot of CDs because not, that's not how people consume music nowadays. So we have to try to, I don't know, navigate the new world. Some people is is like making profit. Using you know digital whatever I don't know who did you ring last week but some people is making money out of Instagram or whatever right yeah, not me but are. there are the people that is taking advantage of the new Paradigm. way of doing things right absolutely yeah. yeah yeah I mean the way that you know social media seems to work for musicians is that uh, or it, this is sort of what I'm starting to see is you know like you it, it the music that you create is only a part of the puzzle that is your sort of brand, you know, mm -hmm. like there's this person I'm really fascinated with and I'm, I plan to like maybe explore this a little bit more, but um, there's this guy named San Simon Franzman, I think is his name, and he makes these YouTube videos where he like animates these characters and they like sing like jazz with like robot voices you know, like, we, we, I'm sure we all remember the, like, robot videos that of came out. But yeah. this, like, he sort of expanded into a universe. And I just, they're so weird. And I have no idea what this guy's endgame is. If, like, he's trying to just, like, create sort of a weird thing that people will find and then also find his music. Or if he just is, like, some, like, jazz school burnout that, like, <laughs> did this other thing that's right. just really funny that we all kind of get it. So, and then, you know, there are other examples of people who um, build upon their career by ha by having a, you know, jazz education element to what they sell. Like of course. Like writing mm -hmm. books and like, you know, how to do the thing that we're doing, which is, is really interesting. Um, well, and I think that that's sort of social media specific. One of the things that I've noticed on, I, I'm in the fledgling stages of like building a, an Instagram following and all that. I have some friends mm -hmm. that are further along, but it's very niche specific in yeah. the sense that most of the people following me are saxophone players. Yeah, that's I have a, have a drummer who has about a ten or 11,000 person following. It seems like most of the people following him are drummers, mm. you know, so, which I think in, it, in, it's makes sense that the educational market is more suited for that because you are right. very directly tapping into those people, Yeah, you know. And, and I've also noticed that there seems to be a significant correlation in success between posts that I post about like me playing saxophone or, or, or one of the instruments I play versus something else. It's like it has to be very focused to get traction, it, you know, that you have to pander to that niche a little bit, hmm. I find. What's an example of you doing something else? Like even if I posted um, 
for example, today I, I posted a video that I'd posted a while back, but I changed the frame on the video so that it showed me playing saxophone if you were to click on it. Hmm. But the video is about Antonio Sanchez's band Migration, okay? And it's it's really about everybody. But I guarantee you if I had not posted the thing of me specifically holding a saxophone on the cover, it would not have got as much, you know, much tra- as much traction. That's really interesting. Yeah, because it's like if people are coming to my page, they sort of want to see that. Thing. If they're going to Antonio's page, they want to see him playing drums, etc. Right. So it's, it's, it's a very, you're looking for a very specific thing. Yeah. You know, like I just followed some parkour people on Instagram. Like mm. I, if I'm going to do that, I want to see people doing flips over buildings right. and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like it, it has to be fulfilling that really specific thing that you sign up for when you're saying I, I'm going to follow this account. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to sort of be a, an eclectic sort of personality. I think, I'm sure you certainly could if all your content was amazing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, yeah. But this has just been my experience so far. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to... I'm not an expert on Instagram. Yeah. Well, so that's this is something that's sort of fascinating me. And, you know, I, I think it sort of separates jazz musicians or, like, us from other people of our generation is, like... You know, it, it, it takes a lot of energy for us to learn how to do all this like social media stuff. And for a lot of people, it comes very natural. Um, you know, we spend so much of our energy learning our instruments and practicing and stuff that like it's it's it can feel more overwhelming to like try to like now learn how to do the like the digital yeah. thing. Don't you think it's the most diverse that it's ever been now too? In the sense that you know, I got home from my tour, someone sent me stems from a stems from a concert and I started mixing them. You know mm. what I mean? And it's like how many of us are like doing all like so many different things. Right. Like, mm. I feel like I'm kind of mentally bifurcated among all these yeah, different I feel the things. Same way. I kinda can't focus. Like I need I feel like I need almost like a four month retreat where I just go shed Alan Holdsworth solos in a garage or something. You know what totally. I mean? Like because I I feel so frenetic yeah. yeah yeah i feel that way too mm-hmm. you get that yeah i i i do i'm actually trying to to delegate more right things yeah people. Mm-hmm. yeah that's what you gotta do um let me ask you guys a question about um your sort of creative process when working on a record i wonder if you think about this like what is sort of the core of what you're trying to capture on record in a philosophical sense you know um is there something, is it about the improvisation? Is it about the storytelling? Is it about the composition? Is it about capturing a moment in your life? Something else? Reflecting society? Anything like that? In a record specifically? Yeah, like, in, in, in a, like, why make a record if, if it's, if you know you're going to lose money at it? Like, so what is the, you know, the philosophical yeah. reason to make this item, the product? In my case, I I think what I have to offer is in the composition. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like you can hear some kind of personal. I don't f- I don't think there is something that sounds exactly or, or super close to what I do. That's very true. Know? I will say that. Yeah. And um, and I think that's why because I feel like like it can be myself. It can offer something that is personal and it's not there. Mm. No, it wasn't. It's not there, you know. Before, so I can offer that. This is a great segue for us to play something from your record, which we're gonna do right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
recording, no? Improv and, and my personal stories and my personal the music that I listen myself, everything is there, right? right? And also part, an important part of the record is also, is also for me to enjoy music and to play with musicians that I enjoy a lot mm. playing and improvise and, mm. you know, and and grow also it's like I'm, it's not it's not unidimensional you know mm -hmm. but i feel confident doing something no because what i can offer in other senses but i where i think i can offer something new is in the composition yeah so going on something you said there opportunity the opportunity to play with musicians that you admire and respect i think that that was one of the impetuses behind my last record in the sense that i wanted to be able to play with some people that I might never be able to play with outside of that context. Good point. Yeah. And and so it kind of offered that opportunity. Yeah. And even at the time, like I wasn't playing in Antonio Sanchez's band. He was someone I wanted to work with, so I hired him and Brad and these different people. Oh wow. Figured it might be my one chance to play with those people. Mm -hmm. And as it has turned out, and I play with them well. all the time. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in that sense, yeah. the, the record did pay for itself, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's a great story of how. Sure. You know, I mean, we were we were working. To, I'd played with him a few gigs or something, sub, right. subbing in the band. But yeah. Yes. It, yeah. And then, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, that, that brings me to another thing I've been thinking about, you know, um, in a lot of records, you know, prior to our generation, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of these bands were working more frequently together before making a record and, you know, that vibe is often on the record. Um, so when you guys go into the studio I guess you may have answered this question, but I was sort of wondering, like, do you prefer to work with musicians you've known before or have worked with, you know, have, is it better to have a band where you've built a sense of shared identity in the music or is it better to work with people whom you inspire, just inspire you, like Meldau or someone like that? And, and, if, and if it's the latter, how do you do what do you do to prepare the vibe of the music when you have maybe one rehearsal or not mm -hmm. a lot to prepare for the record? Right. right. Mm -hmm. So if you have one rehearsal, you know, which I did, I had one three and a half hour rehearsal wow. and we went and laid down the thing. That's great. And I, I think it actually sound, sounds pretty cohesive. And that's been something feedback I've gotten from people like, this sounds like a band. How did you do it? Yeah. I think one of the things was um, the way all those people play is so interactive. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we there was a lot of room for conversation in the music. There's a similar vocabulary in part because I grew up listening to those, to Brad and Antonio yeah. and, and Nier especially. So um, I ended up formatting a lot of the music around them. Uh, you know, what, what kinds of songs could I take in that I know, you know, Brad will sound excellent on and that Antonio will sound excellent on. So I was able to kind of play to that thing a bit because they have a known body of work I could kind That's of build on. Yeah. So you think you had sort of like an Ellington-like approach to the album where like you had these players in mind to like create Correct. that music. Correct. Cool. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think there is a formula. I, I agree that if you call the right players, you know, and you put them in a context where they are comfortable, you know, and they are great players, you know, they can sound super cohesive and whatever. Mm -hmm. right. My case is right the opposite because I have the same band for uh, right. six years, yeah. you know, since 2013. So yeah. it's basically, I mean, it's not exactly the same people, but more or less the same people. And I never go to the to the studio after one rehearsal. We play a few gigs. We play gigs and right. the band is sounding... Is sounding is something good. Then it's know. ready. Oh, but also the music is not that, you know, the music is not also, 
Um, it's not easy, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it needs to be played, and everybody has its part, and there are difficult parts, and it has to sound. It, it requires a little bit of playing the music in front of people right. in order to sound really natural and make people comfortable, you know, and don't don't be like thinking of the of the subdivisions, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I I think actually, it for me, you know, if for the kind of music that I write, you know, I don't think it's all the same, you know. I feel like the band sounds sounds better and better when because we play for many years, you know. And yeah. I think you can hear that, you know, in every recording. That yeah. is a little bit that people knows, know each other better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess they're both, you know, one of the fun things about being creative is that problems present themselves and you have to find solutions to, yeah. you know, solve them. And I, I think that, you know, when when you if you are going to work with people that you don't know then then having them in mind prior to making the recording is probably a really good solution to that and when your music is based a little bit more around your own sort of compositional yeah. approach which well, may be uh, uh, wait i yeah. always okay. write having the people oh you do too mind. yes that's really I think interesting that's, that's key yeah you know huh hmm. so you you would never write something without. I mean, I will never. I don't know. Right, but never I, always strong. that I write normally, I yeah. have some people in mind. That's really fascinating. Um, just in terms of, well, let's talk a little bit about um, the the business side of things for for a bit. Um, do you both run all the matters of your project by yourself, or do you have? have are you able to delegate some, like you know? other responsibilities, like booking your own tours, handling your own social media, stuff like that? At the moment, I'm doing everything on yeah. my own and, and and trying to use the resources around me that I do have when I can. I mean, like this last record, I, I basically produced it, but Dan Chemlinski was, he played on the record and was very involved in I'm running compositions by him and different ideas and stuff. So he was also a producer in a way, but 95% of it I'm doing on my own at this mm. point. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, for me, the product, the production was all by myself. But then I have a booking agent, and oh, cool. we kind of like—I mean, if he gets something, I get something. You no, know, I'm going—I'm going to Europe next month, and half of the gigs he got them, I got. Mm. Oh, so you work sort of side by side with your booking agent, like you do some. Yeah, of the Yeah, I yourself. think most of the people, unless you are like pretty famous, most of the people that works with a booking agent is not only one-sided. You mm. know, I think. Oh, I, I mean, that. mostly I help a lot in Spain and things like that. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, for the recording, I have a publicist also. Right, right. Oh, of course. Yeah, and I, yeah. I also had a publicist for right. the record. That's sort yeah. of like a, a, yeah. a limited time sort of commitment with a publicist. Of like course. With the record. And, and, and I was so grateful that I did that. I mean, like, yeah. that, that oh. would have been exhausting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're from my... my I, I'm from Spain, and Spain... The, this figure, I mean, a publicity doesn't exist, you know. Mm. <laughs> it's like, uh, we don't care about that. So for me, it was like very new. And at first I was like, I'm not spending money on that. I do it myself. Yeah. And I contact, and actually I got reviews and I contact people from New York Times and whatever. But then it, it was too much work. And I was like, you know, I just, that's not what I do. So you, you know? tried to do it? invest time, you know. I try and, pro and people is doing it and you can do it, you yeah. know. It's just like, if you want to, invest that amount of work because it's a lot of work you yeah know? of course like finding out the contacts and right. you know and contact contacting yeah. them and you know basically you pay well, i don't know 
<laughs> I think I think I I don't want to do that work. Yeah, you know, I realize how that work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that you don't want to do if if you can avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think about building your? I mean, I'm going to use the word brand, but it's sort of like your. Uh, who you are as an artist f- from, you know, over the course of your career, are you thinking about a certain trajectory for where you'd like your sort of um, ability to grab attention to go? And like, how do you build that brand or, or continue to um, gain steam as a, uh, you know, a, a, a known entity? I mean, I feel like I'm just looking around in a dark room for the light switch. You right. Know what I mean, and it's yeah. a little easier now. Yeah. You know, I feel like I've got some traction, but it I, it's just one foot ahead of the next. I mean, I know what I'm interested in doing in the next couple of years, you know, but it's it's really tough to have a have a grand end game. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think also. I I just go step by step. I, yeah. To be honest, what I want is like be a little bit better in every sense. Grow as a musician is, I think, my main, you know, right, yeah. focus on my band and everything, like grow as a composer and as a piano player, and then step by step, you know, getting a little bit better in everything, you know, and then things get a little bit better step by step, slowly, you know. Yeah. And that's it. Right. That's it. <laughs> um, cool. So I'm kind of now I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit about the process of making you know maybe your your first record. I mean for you I guess it wasn't it wasn't quite as long for Chase. I'm pointing at him. You don't know that. <laughs> uh, for Chase it probably wasn't you know um, as big of a difference between your most current one because it was only a couple of years ago. So you sort of no it was a long time. Oh my, was it? My first there was like an eight or nine year gap in between oh, okay. the first record and the and the current one. Right. Yeah. So how Tell me a little bit about like why you guys decided like that was the moment to make a record, um, and sort of how how it felt different from you know the most recent one you've created with all the experience you've gained from from that point. Oh, why the first one was the time. yes. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, in in because um... your first record is the one in which you decide like okay I want to launch myself into the recording world and you know we all have to sort of decide when we're ready to do that if we feel you know that our playing is at the level we want it to be if sure. we feel that yeah. we're ready to make this financial commitment and, and all these other reasons yeah. for me it was in Spain and I've never felt like my play is at the, at the level of recording and uh, I don't think people feel if you are waiting for that moment I don't know if mm. a lot of people feel or at least, I don't know. So good point. I talk with a lot of people and nobody feels like, oh, I'm ready. I sound incredible right mm. now. Right. I'm going to record. Right. Uh, I'm just, it was in Spain. It's not such a big commitment like money wise. It's way uh, cheaper to record there. I had this band with friends that I play all the time. They are good friends. I think people even like didn't charge, you know, mm. it was like they were friends. We went to the studio. The studio was cheap. It was really. It was really natural because we were playing for um, for for years, you mm. know, and and I was writing and I needed to record that to keep writing new music, you know, to kind of like take a picture of like and you know to don't be like writing music and nothing after that, no. And it was it felt natural to to record 
that because we were playing a lot and and I wanted to write new music, new music, and I wanted to have a register of that, you know. But mm-hmm. but I knew, and it wasn't like such a commitment, like money wise, also, you know. Right. And I felt super. I mean, the musicians they they are really really great friends, you know. They were like super close friends, mm. you know. So I guess it was like kind of like, you know, yeah, let's do it. And I felt so support su- supported by mm. them, you know. I had been going to school in Los Angeles for a couple of years and I dropped out of school, moved home with my parents in Utah for about 18 months and mm. then to save up some cash and moved to New York. And I'd been writing a bit during that time, like before that. And then I, I got to Utah and I ended up having a pretty good job for the first little bit and I had some extra money. And then uh, my friend Julian Pollock had been making oh, records. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of inspired me in the sense of you need to do this to, if you want to get something going, um, so I just I just pieced together a band and, and did it. And just, it just made sense at the time. It was, it was more like I didn't have a lot going on while I was there in Utah, and I wanted some kind of project to sink mm. my teeth into. Yeah. And, and I would say that's not dissimilar from the record I just did. It, mm. They both kind of happened or began to happen in times when there wasn't a lot happening, and it gave me something to kind of focus into mm. creatively. Yeah, I feel like it's good. I mean, for me, my mind is always good. To try to make things happen. Yeah. You know, like I mean, do yeah. things. And also, if you decide you're going to record, you just like like write better or write, focus sure. on something or try to play more you know, to make the band sounds good. And always like having, for me, works a lot like having deadlines and having goals. Like, yes. I'm going to do that, that, that. That's what makes me keep going, you know. So I do that for myself, you know. I think yeah. it's more about that. Than anything else, you know. Now that you're, you know, you both are recording artists with sort of a back catalog. Do you feel pressure to like? I mean, the timing of this question is a little weird because you just put, put, are putting out new records. But do you feel like at a certain point, like, oh God, I need to do another record, like, or does it, yeah, it continue absolutely. to happen at a time when you just feel like, you know, now is the right time to do No, this? absolutely. I feel more pressure than ever because now the ball's rolling right. and I kind of have to maintain what, right. you know, the, the yeah. momentum that's happening. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to scheme ways to, to do that at this point and uh, have it be a little more financially viable. Right. But. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I actually had a conversation once with Chris Davis and she told me, you should try to put out a record every two years or something. So mm. that kept me in my mind. And if there is pressure, it's because I put that pressure mm. up because I want right. to do it. Then. I mean, I don't feel pressure from outside. Because I don't right. Know, probably nobody can persist. You know? yeah. but, uh, but I thought she has, she has like an amazing career. I mean, besides she's an amazing musician, but it, it gave me, because I'm really not a business oriented mind right. you know and give me like i like to hear these things from people that i respect because it's like okay see things that way that's you know that's makes me say maybe i should think that way you know to make things work you yeah. know and then i put that in my mind and then since then i had this conversation from my previous recording because the other recordings had like a bigger gap and i tried to to release something before two years passed. <laughs> so a little bit longer than two years, but not much. Ah, close enough. Close that's, enough. That's smart. And I've heard that too. Uh, I played with Mark Sherman. He's a vibraphonist. He was mm-hmm. one of my teachers at Trillard. He was. He said one record every year for six years or something. Oh, and then wow. you have like a... Cr- like, okay. but, I, but I think there's some truth to that. It's yeah. like if you really hit it with that kind of aggressive 
presence, you know, it will it will be noticed. And and in a way, I think the name of the game has expanded now because of social media, mm. in the sense that, you, that there's recording, there's a certain um, presence that happens on the scene when you do that, but there's also presence through all the, the, this ongoing mm-hmm. onslaught of posting. And I think it's really just you have to be as omnipresent in people's uh, attention as possible, like yeah. play as many gigs as you can put out as many records as you can post all the time. I mean, it's just, it's kind of gross in a way, but that's kind of what it is. It's just, yeah. you got to barrage people a little yeah. bit. And I think that you also now. need like, like periods of, you know, of getting input because you're all, all the time like, right. In the output mode, in the end, if you don't have anything new to offer, it doesn't make much sense. Of you course. Know? I ha- yeah. There are like great artists that I feel they, they release all the time. And many of the things they release, I don't think they, I mean, it will have been better. I think I, they I, don't. I agree they, with that. They really, really are more specific, and whatever they release is really special, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, which yeah. is which I think now it can be. It's maybe possible to have a divide between like social media output and and, and recorded output. Yeah, that's a good point. In a sense, like one of the things I'm going to do coming up is do a little Kickstarter campaign with a friend, and we, we recorded like a kind of electronic jazz song in may that turned out pretty good and so we're going to raise some money to make some more of these songs okay and then if i like the results i will then parlay that into the next album um so it's an it's like a way of sort hmm. of getting paid to compose the music and then and then generate content so as we're doing it we record it we'll yeah. generate these little videos yeah. to post on online and, and everything and 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 you know yeah. try and, and i agree with that that's related to what i was saying before that i think it's always good to to do things, to try to do things and to challenge yourself to do things because mostly because it makes you grow and makes you focus on something intensely so makes you be a better musician somehow, you know, and, and, and be creative all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they have to be recording all the time and force yourself to do a recording if you if didn't you really evolve or something new. How do you know when you evolve? I think you 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 feel that it's a, you are in a slightly a different place. Mm. If you are if you you feel that you are gonna do the same recording more or less, the tunes are kind of like the same. Right. You know, it's good to have like a continuation and to have like something you know, but that you don't repeat yourself or yeah. you are not doing something just because you have to do a right. CD mm-hmm. and then you just like do it quickly and I don't know. I think making a record now too has become something that that should I want it to be able to stand the test of time in contrast to to I keep mentioning social media but like the one minute clip of of something there there. that's there and it's gone in a week you know so what is a record that I could make that would last stand the test of time and so maybe that's a way to do it is having a divide between you, you know being present through these other outlets but then every so often when you feel that you have it really together making uh, an artistic offering that's really yeah. Gonna, yeah. Gonna but also last. at the same time I don't feel like everybody's person all the time it feels like that because you open Instagram or Facebook and you read a lot of things of people doing things all the time but if you really look closely to artists that you admire sometimes they are present and sometimes they are not you know mm. it's like I feel like it's sunny in and out and sometimes you need time mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. create you know and right. be busy so I think so. I that's my opinion, but also I'm not an expert. <laughs> so well, there's certainly media. there are examples of people who are sort of getting a lot of attention and and maintaining that attention by you know posting a lot. You know, um, uh, Jacob Collier is an example of that. Um, 
I think Chad Lefkowitz Brown is a little bit of an example of that. Uh, Charlie Rosen, like they're both people that like have a lot of content online yeah. frequently. Yeah. And and they are able to maintain their sort of um, growth and you know and then the, audience the, that way. The question is, does that end up creating a completely different career? And right. That I don't is, know the no, I, I have don't know the answer also. to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what that's going to look like in twenty years. You know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but I find that really fascinating. To I do too. Contemplate. Well, uh, we're a little short on time, so I just like to wrap this up with one more question for the both of you and. Um, uh, what is sort of the advice you have for uh, young musicians who are uh, trying to get their to have a creative career and you know make original music? <laughs> I don't know if I can give any advice, but I mean, if someone feels that has something to say, that's the first thing, you know, and it's not doing just because you have to do it, you mm -hmm. know, uh, because there are also a lot of bands playing music that you feel that you heard that tune like millions of times, you mm. know? And I don't think that you have to force yourself to do it if you don't really feel that you have something to say or you want to do it. But anyway, just do it. I, I don't know. I, I think you have to just book, try to book gigs and yeah. lose a lot of money. It doesn't matter. It's all <laughs> fine. <laughs> and, uh, you, yeah, because sometimes, you know, and also mostly... Now it's kind of easier to get my, to get you know people to come to the gigs uh, the, the, mostly for with the quintet you know uh, but at first you know I play many gigs that there wasn't there, there weren't that many people there mm. and you still have to pay the musicians mm -hmm. and you still have to and it's fine you know it's like kind of like see the big pictures and and keep doing it because it gets better. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It seems to me that like the challenge is kind of unprecedented now in mm -hmm. terms of what you're up against. So I guess my advice is, you know, use the, the existing technology to, as best you can mm. and, um, you know, be, be authentic as best you can. I, I also think that the people that will do it at this point are people that have to do it. Yes. You know what I mean? There, it's like you, you're the only reason I'm in this at this point is because there, there's, this is just what I am going to do. It just it is what it is. You know, it's like I went and saw Branford Marsalis when I was a kid and in a clinic. And he said, uh, he said something like, someone asked him if you should have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, if you have anything else you might want to do as you much do or more, you should absolutely do it. He yeah. said, the only people that do this are totally crazy. And if you do it and you're in the club, you're in, you know what I mean? Once you're, yeah. once you're in, you're, you're in and it's and it's incredibly meaningful and, and a beautiful life but it is very challenging you know that's a nice way of putting it to sort of give everybody uh you know a little piece of ownership of that um community without uh you know de deciding it based on how many fans you have or something like that i mm -hmm. think that's that's a nice way of putting it um okay cool well before we go uh we're gonna play a little clip from uh, chase's new record now um, and is there any, uh, anything anybody wants to promote or say before we go? I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Marty. Thank <laughs> you to my guest, Chase Baird and, uh, Marta Sanchez. All right, you guys. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> 